Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Mallory Ortberg, also known as Dear Prudence. And I wish to congratulate one of you readers slash listeners. I don't know which one of you it was, but you got me to write an almost wholly complete answer to a question before I realized you had given me the plot to season six from Sex in the City. It's been a while since somebody sent me in uh, a plot from literature or television. I think the last one that I caught was about the plot of Brideshead Revisited. And that was at least a year ago. So it's been a while since at least I have seen one or noticed. It's certainly possible that I have answered, I don't know, the plot of Catch-22 without realizing it. Uh, but I got like two-thirds of the way through an answer when I realized, wait a minute, your flighty friend who got engaged twice to one guy but also saw her last boyfriend and now she lives in Europe with an older gentleman and she's thinking about coming back. Damn it, that's what Carrie does in season six. I think the reason that you guys managed to slip that one past me is because you introduced a new twist, which was that the letter writer was seeing one of the former paramours of the main character. So I think if your goal is to trick me into answering a question uh, about something that happened to fictional people, the key is to introduce one more plot element that previously did not exist in the story, because that will apparently cause me to forget one of the more well-known franchises of the last 20 years. So congratulations. Thank you. Didn't make its way into the column. But, uh, you know, please know you did get me to think really hard, essentially, about whether or not Miranda should date Aiden. Um, and I thank you for that. That was <laughs> that was exciting and new. And I, I, I'm really impressed with whoever managed to pull that off. So, with that in mind and out of the way, I want to introduce my guest, uh, Maggie Fade. Maggie is a young adult fiction writer, a social media manager, and an advocate for the disabled. Maggie, welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to be here. Well, here, over here where I am. Yeah, yeah. No, it's so great to have you here. Uh, would you have caught a question about Sex in the City? Were you familiar with that particular piece of I would absolutely not have caught a question about Sex in the City. It was not one of the things that I was into. I was busy being a giant nerd at that time. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, I, I would have been much more likely to get, like, Lord of the Rings plot. So, admittedly. Although, in fairness, that's a little harder to translate into modern life. I feel like if someone was like, I'm having an issue with a magical ring, I'd be like, well, that's, that's so probably true. not... From now? No, that's true. And it makes it really difficult to, like, work in the whole I'm taking a road trip with seven dudes to try to throw a ring in a volcano. It it gets complicated. Yeah, it would be a lot harder to disguise, although I'm sure someone is out there with the time, the energy, and the will to make that happen. And um, once again, I welcome all of your attempts at trickery. So please send more of them in. Someone is um, doing that right now, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I, I hope so. <laughs> and I hope it goes really well for them. You know, I wish them the best. Uh, <laughs> You never know. You never know what's going to come down the pike. And I always love it when something surprises me. So speaking of surprises, the letters this week are just one doozy after another. And I think we should just dive into them and solve everyone's problems. Would you please read our first letter? I will certainly read the first letter. The subject, my best friend isn't coming to my wedding. Dear Prudence, my best friend is doing her medical residency and has a crazy schedule. 
Although I gave her six months of advance notice, she can't make it to my wedding. I'm not typically a sentimental person, so I'm afraid that she thinks it's not a big deal if she doesn't come. I expressed that I would really like her to be there and be in my wedding, but she insists that her program won't let her take the day off. I'm deeply hurt because I don't think she exhausted all options to try and make it. I want to tell her how I feel, but I'm afraid it will only cause her more stress. She works 90-hour weeks, is under a lot of pressure. Yet I think we'll both regret it if she doesn't come. What should I do? (sighs) So, admittedly... All of my, like, background for this question is that I've watched a lot of medical dramas and people will say things like, I'm doing my medical residency and I don't have time to be alive. So that's the limit of my expertise in this area. I have, like, an ounce more experience because I have a couple of friends who have done medical residency, but I admit that this is all, like, deeply buoyed by my longstanding love of Grey's Anatomy. So if anybody ever wrote you a letter with a Grey's Anatomy plot, I would recognize that. If it was from the first five seasons, I would recognize it immediately. If it was afterwards, I might have trouble placing it. But I was recently, by the way, rewatching the first three seasons. And like the whole time, all I could think is, I don't think I'm ready to watch Denny Duquette again. And then it happened and it turned out I still was not ready. And I never, ever will be. And every time I watch those episodes, I think maybe it'll be different this time. They never are. It's never going to be different. And it's always going to be crying in a pink dress. All right. So anyway, giving in mind that we both love to talk about television, what's your take (laughs) on this one? Um, So I'm kind of a person who notices like red flags in conversation or or, like little tidbits that people throw out. And that's going to become really important in like two questions. But right now, the only one that like really sticks out to me that I've underlined in red on my iPad is I don't think she exhausted all options to try and make it. I mean, there's another thing that sticks out to me, but that was the big thing that I'm like, mm, and, and I don't want to be judgy. So letter writer, hear me out. You don't know. Like, you really don't. And and part of the problem is, and, and my experience with the people that I've known who have been through residency, is that there is no exhausting options. There is a yes and a no, and your entire like future in the medical field could be at stake because these are people who can make it, make or break your career. So if you go to your boss and you say, I really want this day off, and he's like, nope, I have a double appendectomy thing that you have to be there for, you say, okay, I guess I can't go. It's kind of a, you jump when they say jump, and you basically like ask how high while you're in the air. Yeah. Yeah. My inclination as well is, while I totally agree that, especially for a really close friendship, you know, missing somebody's wedding you know, often is a really big deal. And and if there's a way to go to somebody's wedding, you know, I'll often encourage people, if it's worth it to you, if the friendship is one that you want to maintain, you know, it, it's good to try to make it. But, um, you know, based on my total layman's understanding of what a medical residency is, even if you have a lot of advance notice, if you are working that week, you are working that week. Like, you really don't have much control over your own schedule um, and sometimes people even have to like postpone their own weddings. Um, so I, I do think there's a conversation letter writer that you can have here. But I think the conversation is simply the one where you think she thinks it's not a big deal if she doesn't come. I totally and that doesn't agree mean you have that. to lay a heavy guilt trip on her. But just have a conversation about um, I'm so sad that I won't be able to see you at my wedding. Not Not in a way that implies so feel really shitty or like, you know 
you're a bad person, but just to honestly express, I'm really sad I'm not going to be able to see you at my wedding. And and maybe, like, you guys will be able to figure out a way for, like, I don't know, somebody to kind of, like, Skype her in for the ceremony. I know that's a little ridiculous, but, like, um, you know, maybe she could spare 15 minutes, like, in the on-call room. Um, and Or just something that kind of acknowledges you want her to be there, you're thinking of her, it would be meaningful. But I, I really do think she's doing her medical residency, especially... You know, it's not just like taking the hour out for the ceremony. It's the travel. It's the days off of work. Mm -hmm. They just can't do that. Medical Mm -hmm. residency, your time's not your own. Yeah. Well, the only thing that I would add to that is I think there is a little bit of room in that script to basically be like, hey, I know I'm not like the girliest girl in the world. I Well, and I hate to gender it that way, but you know what I mean? Like, I'm not sentimental about this stuff. I understand if I've like, I've never seemed like the type of person who would really freak out about this. I want you to know- I also don't even like, think all those caveats are important, right? Like, I don't think you have to apologize for wanting the people who are close to you on your yeah. wedding day. I don't think that needs to be associated with any sort of like- No, no, that's, that's true. Sentiment. But I think there is definitely room to say, like, I understand how I might have given the impression that this isn't as big a deal. And right. I like, and I understand that where you're coming from, because you can acknowledge their feelings and totally be like- I'm sorry if I didn't give the right impression. I did really want you to be there, and I'm sad you can't. Is there any way we can include you from afar? Yes. Yeah, that's perfect, I think. Well, go us. That's one problem. Yeah, solved. yeah. No, I just think that that's, like, that's the way to talk about it. You don't have to bury this. Your your two options aren't really try to force her to come or never bring it up. Um, but I, I really do think medical residency is one of those things where you are going to miss stuff. Like you are going to miss stuff in your own life. You're going to miss in the lives of other people. And that's just unfortunately the way that uh, like the training to become a doctor is set up in this country. Yeah. Um, that last line, yet I think we'll both regret it if she doesn't come. Like I feel like she signed up for a lot of regrets by choosing this career path. Like she knew she was going to miss a lot of things and she was going to work 80 to 90 hour weeks. And some of them would be like 46 hour shifts and things. And that's just something she's had to accept about her life. Right. And it doesn't mean that she doesn't love you and she doesn't care about Mm -hmm. you. And it doesn't mean you can't ever say I miss you or I wish we got to see each other more often. Um, But I, I think she probably is very, very limited in terms of like what she's actually able to do. But it may mean that she can give you an emergency appendectomy one day. So that's important. That would be amazing. Right? I hope that you, I mean, I hope you never have to get one, letter writer. But if you do, you know, get your your friend to do it. Um, And good luck. Yeah. And have a great wedding. Oh, boy. This next one. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. 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 Was this this as tricky to read uh, as I imagine it might have been? My um, back teeth still hurt. From opening mm-hmm. this email and reading this letter. Yeah, I, I, I had a feeling we might be on the same page about this one. Let me just read it with, with no further commentary. Subject is grieving for attention. Dear Prudence, when people ask my sister how many children she has, she responds that she has two, but one passed away. People instantly feel sorry for her, and I think she likes the attention. The thing is, she never had two children. She has one child and had an early miscarriage about a year ago. I think her mention of a second child is really insensitive toward people who have actually had to go through the loss of a child, not to mention how it might make my young niece feel. She got really upset with her family when we didn't treat her, i.e. give her attention, after her perfectly common early pregnancy loss, and told her daughter she was still a big sister, which she is not. 
How can I get my sister to stop saying she lost a child when really she just lost a ball of cells that was never viable in the first place? Woof. Oh, boy. I, I, I have so many feelings that I'm afraid that I should be quiet and let you start unless you would like me to begin the feelings train. I am happy to get us started. This is, I think this is one of the letters that has made me saddest. Like, I don't know that I've ever felt sadder and more hopeless reading somebody's letter. Um, This is breathtakingly insensitive, blithe, cruel. Um, I cannot imagine how difficult it must have been for your sister to have a miscarriage and for your response to be, this is common, this is normal, I'm not going to give you any attention, like you, this doesn't merit attention, this isn't a real loss. Um, your attempts to talk about what happened to you are some sort of false and disingenuous bid for attention. Uh, I, I, yeah, yeah. You, you, you could not be more wrongly oriented towards your own sister. This is awful. Well, and I think that you really have a point there about the sister issue is that what I'm seeing here has nothing to do with a miscarriage. This has everything to do with a sibling rivalry. Like all I am seeing here is somebody who is really ticked off that they're, I don't know, younger sibling. It doesn't say, but they are just saying over and over again about attention. They've said the word inten- attention twice, and there's minimizing all throughout of it. And And I just feel like there's this constant note of contempt and, like, dripping scorn. And yeah. it feels very much like the main issue here has nothing to do with the miscarriage and everything to do with a deep-seated discomfort and dislike for your sibling. Yeah, and and I don't know where that comes from or what's producing that within you, letter writer, but uh, yeah, it comes through loud and clear in your letter, and I would advise you to abide by the statement, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Um, just just because I don't have a lot of hope that in the immediate future you're going to be able to like make such a significant shift that you are able to be loving towards your own sister. I I think maybe right now the best you can do is be neutral neutral silence. If I could like just riff off of that a little bit from my own experience, like I myself have not had a miscarriage, Um, but I am of an age where many of my friends, many of my contemporaries, many of my high school friends and my social acquaintances have had children and many of them have had miscarriages leading up to having children successfully. Um, I can like think of plenty of them in my life and I, I have watched them struggle with this incredible pain because not only, and I think this is something letter writer, I understand that, that we've come across as really harsh to you right now, but the thing that, that I think both of us are sort of saying, and the thing I'm trying to elucidate here is that, when you miscarry, you are not just losing a ball of cells. You are losing a hope. You are losing a dream. You are losing something that you have prayed over and been happy about, been joyful about, told your family about, told your husband about. You have bought clothing or made plans or gone shopping. Like this is a huge wish and a dream that you that has died. And it is never just a physiological oops. 
Yeah, that that to me, like that that last question, how can I get my sister to stop saying she lost a child? How do I convince her that she didn't lose anything? How do I impose my view of her situation onto her? That is a wrong question to be asking. Um, uh, that's just in no way is that your business. Just because miscarriage is common doesn't make it normal, doesn't make it easy, doesn't make it fun, doesn't mean it's not a very real loss. Doesn't make um, it not painful. Yeah. So, and when you say you think she likes the attention, sometimes people will say that about others in a way that implies. And obviously, it's wrong to like attention. Obviously, they're trying to get more than their fair share of attention. Obviously, they're doing something they shouldn't be. Um, it is a normal and a natural human response when we experience loss to want attention, reassurance, love, sympathy from other people. That's like saying, I think she eats lunch because she likes the food. Yeah, man, that's not a criticism of lunch. Attention is something that everybody needs. Yeah. The other thing that I had flagged in here was the, um, I think her mention of a second child is really insensitive insensitive towards people who have actually had to go through the loss of a child, not to mention how it might make my young niece feel. So that is like a giant ball of wax right there. Like she just wrapped up and I'm assuming she here, um, but I'm not sure. So it could be, it could be it a It certainly brother. sounds I, like some sister it, it, it on does sister sound like a sister, dynamics. sister, yeah. But regardless, um, letter writer, you've wrapped a whole lot of stuff in that one sentence. One of them is saying it's insensitive towards people who've gone through the loss of a child. And I promise you, there is no one in the world that I have ever met that has ever been like, you know, I lost my child when they were three years old, and because of that, I am angry that you had a miscarriage and feel sad about it. Right. Like, grief is not something that we need to one-up each other with. It's horrible. No, it's not a zero-sum game. Yeah. And the second thing is about the young niece. Like, the young niece thing... That was just sort of low. I, I don't know. I, letter writer, I'm trying really hard to be sympathetic. It's really difficult because your letter is just incredibly cruel um, towards your sister and, and very dark towards her. But wrapping up how the young niece feels, like she made hopes too. Like she wanted to be a big sister. Like she knew what was going on. And children need to learn how grief works too. And unfortunately, sometimes they learn inside their family. Right. And l let's just say, even for the sake of argument, if your sister were implying that she lost an older child and hiding the fact, not, I don't even know if hiding would be the word that I want, but Omitting. implying, yeah, just implying that she had suffered a stillbirth or the death of a baby or a toddler, um, that would be one thing. You don't say that. So so my, my guess is if she were doing that, you would say that because you are trying to get as much ammunition against her as possible. But even if that were the case, just based on what you've written, any conversation about that could not come from you, could not possibly come from you because you do not will her good, mm -hmm. right? Like you are not on her side in any way. You don't want what's best for her. No, um, definitely not. You are cold and unfeeling towards her, and so you could not possibly have a helpful conversation with her about the way she talks about her own miscarriage. So, again, letter writer, for you, the best thing that you can possibly do right now is leave this topic alone. Don't say anything. And Don't go out of your way to convince her that she shouldn't feel bad. Um just drop it. And if you need to go see a therapist to kind of work through your own issues with your sister, 
you, you've got some serious issues of just hatred towards your sister that you need to deal with on your own time. Oh, man. All right. This next one feels like such a relief after that thicket of misery. Please, please, please read this breath of fresh air. Okay. Subject. Should I have let a strange child play with my new iPad on a flight? Dear Prudence, I recently bought an iPad before a business trip for $1,200 and plan to take it on my long flight. That's the most I've ever spent on anything that wasn't rent. During the flight, I was seated next to a very rambunctious child and a very tired-looking mom. About halfway through the flight, the child was very restless, and she asked me if he could play with my iPad, which I declined. The mother was irate. She explained that he had one at home and used it fine. And when I continued to say no, she started telling people sitting nearby who tried to talk me into handing my brand new iPad to a strange six-year-old. She even tried to get the flight attendant to talk to me. I offered to play tic-tac-toe or play cards, which the flight attendant offered, with the child so that the mom could get a break. But she did not stop arguing about the iPad and was rude the rest of the flight. As I was leaving the airport, the woman found me and screamed at me, saying I had ruined their vacation and called me a variety of nasty things. For future reference, was I supposed to hand over my pricey electronic to a literal sticky-fingered child? I don't even have apps for kids, but I did, however, have some hastily saved adult content I was worried he might have opened. Am I as selfish jerk as she called me? Holy cats! I am so sorry, letter writer. Uh, right? I don't mean at all to make light of what sounds like a very uncomfortable flight, but I just can't stop cracking up at the like thought of this unbearable woman. Just, I know. Like, at least this one's you. easy. This one's so easy. No, no, this, this one. This this woman was completely unreasonable, and let's hope she was just suffering from like I don't know extreme altitude madness. Um, well, and. I don't. I managed to like actually underline some red flags, which was difficult because the whole <laughs> oh, thing was just you? so wrong. I did. did. You like there to were two things. I did. The first one was the child was very restless, and she asked me if he could play with my iPad. Like the child didn't ask. He wasn't like, right. "Hi, kindly stranger, could I play with your iPad?" The mom asked, "What in the world?" Like. And so she explained that he had one at home and used it fine. Why isn't on the flight with you? Like, if you wanted him to have an iPad for your flight, why didn't you bring it? And that's just like, that's not how it works. Like, my kid has a bike at home. Can I have yours? Like, no correlation. <laughs> I also just like so much, even more than just the, the like, yeah, kids break stuff. And if you don't have like a, I don't know, I think they make like tablets for kids that are mm-hmm. specifically just like a little Well, and they also and- make cases that are like giant foam squishy mats all around them which is cool but yeah yeah those things are expensive and if somebody breaks them that that's that's hard on you and then like also that that like the the yes like tablets are personal and private and many people have adult content on them and probably that is content that had the kid accessed this mom would have flipped out on you and like again tried to blame you for that like that that did not enter her mind that like there's some stuff on here a child shouldn't see because this isn't designed for a child it's just yeah i don't know like and given everything and the entitlement the like mountain of entitlement in this woman i cannot imagine a world in which her child breaks the ipad and she (laughs) offers to pay for it oh god no are you kidding me it would have been oh well these things happen goodbye i have to go 
Um, ruined I, I their vacation. Amazed, that was my other flag. Was the ruined my, their vacation? Seriously? Yeah. No, You're this off woman's the plane. Bananas. Yeah, it's over. That's in the past. And also, she was the one who kept it going the whole time. Yeah, and I'm so sorry that she like tried to enlist your seatmates and a flight attendant. Frankly, I'm surprised the flight attendant did not try to tell her that she needed to stop. But no, uh, you had a weird day where a really out of line woman. Uh, managed to, like, wrestle a couple of other people into her unreasonable attempts to, like, cajole you into giving something private and expensive to her child. Good for you for standing your ground. Uh, No, she was just terrible. I really hope that that was just, like, that woman's worst ever day as a parent and that normally she's a lot better. Um, And I wish her kid a lot of luck dealing with her. She sounds Mm -hmm. difficult. All right, so this next one is appropriately named Quandary because I just, I don't know how to wrap my head around it, but I'll just, I'll go ahead and read it and then we'll try to figure it out together. Dear Prudence, for reasons too long to explain here, my wife has asked for a legal separation. I refused for seven months and have only reluctantly agreed now because she has leukemia and would like unfettered access to her money should she need a very expensive bone marrow transplant. Through our time apart of a year, she has been encouraging me to live a full life and to date. Apart from my marriage, my life is already very full and happy. I'm retired, living in a great city in California, and have returned to grad school where I'm having the time of my life. She is 1,500 miles away. She has asked me not to come and look for her as she deals with her illness. My wife deals with trauma and loss by withdrawing. I know this is not emotionally healthy, but feel that my hands are tied. She has also lost a parent and a child this year, so things are extremely hard for her. And in all her grief, she can't focus on anything but the present. I have agreed to give her emotional space and said that I don't expect to be contacting her, though I did ask her to keep me updated on her diagnosis and treatment. Though she can't work and tires easily, I said that it didn't matter, she's welcome here anytime and I'd love to take care of her. I love her and I want to keep my marriage vows. My wife does love me, although I feel I have been rejected by her. My question is this, by encouraging me to date, is my wife offering me a gift? Should I accept the gift? Or should I follow my inclinations to remain in this marriage and support her no matter what, even if my love for her is not reciprocated? I have a great church and family here, a good counselor and spiritual guide, but we all need human warmth and contact, and I've been wondering about contacting a former ex of mine. Should I, or would I just be making everyone's life too complicated? (sighs) Yeah, no, I'm kind of all over the place on this one. One or two moments that sort of made me sit up and take notice was... That the letter writer has only reluctantly agreed to a separation so that his wife can get access to her own money. And that concerns me a lot because it, it makes me wonder, like, were you trying to keep her from her own money to pay for her medical treatment? Because if so, I think I know a reason that your wife has asked for a legal separation. Yeah, um, the first thing that flagged was actually the, like, first seven words of the letter. For reasons too long to explain here. Like, I'm sorry, I would like to know those reasons, because suddenly they seem really important based on everything. Like, you're asking us whether or not you should remain faithful to your marriage. Maybe you should tell us why your marriage is imploding, and that would help us. Yeah, I have to imagine that there's at least some awareness on the letter writer's part that if they were to go into detail, it would not make them look good. Yeah, the unfettered access to her money part was really creepy to me because it 
So you did a, a letter a couple of weeks ago, which was like almost the exact opposite of this guy, like running around town, spending the money and the woman who like should lock it down and everything who wanted to spend it responsibly. And I feel like this is like the exact opposite where it's like, dude, what are you doing that she needs unfettered access to money so she can treat her life-threatening illness? That's yeah. weird. And and that whole then that whole thing of like my wife deals with trauma and loss by withdrawing. Um, I know that's not emotionally healthy, but I can't do anything about it. Like maybe that's true, and also maybe your wife has a history of trying to get some space and independence in her relationship with you, and you have dismissed that um, as a, like a reflexive response to being hurt in a way to kind of say whenever she tries to get more independent, that's a sign that she's actually uh, weak. Emotionally and unhealthy. Yeah, it's, un it's healthy and I should, I have the right to stop it. And again, that worries me, letter writer, that you are saying that. Um, in addition to like in a otherwise healthy marriage, people don't move across the country to treat their leukemia from their partner. Like even the most closed down, anxious, like withdrawn sort of person doesn't usually do that unless they really feel like only by putting half a country in between the two of us can I take care of myself in this time of need. So again, I don't want to like read too much in between the lines and say like this is 100% on you. You have done like the following five things for sure and no wonder your wife wants to get away from you. But you know, you should pay attention to that. You know, normally people don't feel the need to do that unless there's some really bad dynamics in their marriage to begin with. So, you know, you're saying, aside from this, my life's perfect. Everything's great. I'm doing fabulous. I've got no issues. And I would just encourage you to maybe take a second look at your life and and kind of try to figure out, like, actually, have I been too controlling? Have I pushed this person away? Have I tried to control my wife's choices and experiences and feelings in such a way that she felt like she had to run away from me? Yeah. Um, letter writer, there is something a little bit strange in the statement, I have agreed to give her emotional space, and I do said I don't expect to to be contacting her, though I ask her to keep me updated on her diagnosis and treatment. That, like, it almost seems contractual. Like, I'll leave you alone, but only if you tell me what's going on with your health. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can I can definitely read that as just like, okay, I'll give you what you want, but I love you and I want to know that you're alive and well. Yeah. No, I the, mean, this, it's very possible it's that too. The line that actually gave me more pause than that was, she's asked me not to come and look for her. Yeah, that's weird. Right. Again, like, look for her as language of, like, a child who has run away, um, which I don't mean in any way to imply that your wife is in the position of a child. What I mean to ask is, was your wife afraid you were going to hunt her down? Like, was she afraid, not that you were going to try to support her and get in touch and, and ask how you can be close, but, like, was she afraid that you wouldn't let her leave? And the fact that, again, you've said for seven months I wouldn't grant her a separation and, you know, there's some sort of question of whether or not I would allow her access to her own money to pay for her own medical treatment. Just all these little things are adding up to this big question of, is your wife afraid of you? Because if that's the case, uh, you know, I, I don't know that you have the great, happy, wonderful life that you think you do. I, I'm worried that you are controlling, manipulative, and possibly financially and emotionally abusive to this woman. Yeah, I think... It came off to me as 
I want permission to do this thing and I want to come out smelling like roses. Yes. The next move for you is not do I start dating or not? It's how do I fearlessly and honestly stop and and take stock of my behavior, my actions, how I've treated my wife, whether she has felt like I have given her room to have full autonomy over her own life and choices in our relationship. And if I have not done that, if I have tried to control and manipulate her, if I have made her feel unsafe or, or like a child, how can I make meaningful amends that are not about making me feel better and forcing her to forgive me, but about, uh, you know, taking real steps toward change um, and not continuing that past behavior. How do I make that right? And that should be what's in front of you next, not should I get in touch with an old girlfriend. I think that is not something you need to be thinking about right now. Um, yeah. So I, um, I, the I, by encourage me to date, is my wife offering me a gift? Should I accept the gift? No. No, she is offering herself the door, and you should let her go. And you right. should take that door for yourself and go straight to a therapist's office. Please. Yep. And I would say a different counselor and spiritual guide than the one you have now. Yes. Because it sounds like whichever one you have now is a part of the narrative you have of your happy, wonderful life, where you just have a really weird wife who left you kind of for no reason, maybe just because she's so sad that she has to be alone. Um, I, I think whatever you're telling your gui- counselor or spiritual guide right now is a part of a narrative where you don't look too deeply at the things that you yourself have done and you need to find somebody else, um, who can help you take a more critical look at yourself and, and really dive deep in some questions of how, how, how have I treated my wife? And is that a way that I would want to be treated? All right. We got another one. More family stuff. It's a big family day. It really is. And I don't remember if I read the last letter or you did. I think you did. I think. Great. Then you get to read this one. Okay. Um, Subject is hitting too close to home. Dear Prudence, my big brother has kids and so do I. Often, his kids will stay over with us or ours with him. While my brother is mostly a great dad, he does sometimes spank his children, which is not a practice I believe in. I have tried to ask him to stop to no avail, but he also refuses to honor my request not to hit his kids in front of mine. I don't want them to be scared of their uncle or to think that kind of parenting is something I believe in. My question is, do I have the right to demand that he not hit his kids when my kids are there? And am I a hypocrite for not standing firm when it comes to his use of corporal punishment on his kids, but insisting he keep my kids out of it? Whew. Oh, man. So I, the last time, by the way, that I uh, addressed a question about anything related to spanking... I got emails for weeks. I think I remember hearing that one. It was about birthday spankings. So I am only now finally ready to discuss this again. And um, I I will batten down the hatches for my inbox. Um, Do you want to take it away or should I? Oh, man. Why don't you take us us away this time? I think I started the last few. Okay. So I have complicated feelings on spanking. I was raised in a time, because I am 36, when spanking was the norm, and it is what you did. Uh, And I am also living in a time now where social scientists, psychologists, sociologists, and many people with PhDs, MDs, and so on in front of their names who are highly educated are saying spanking is bad. 
And it hits exactly the same notes of trauma and pain and grief and distrust and childhood issues that any other kind of abuse would. Now, that's the big divide. And and I know that a lot of, from what I remember hearing in your reactions on uh, the podcast, there were a lot of people who just were constantly flooding your inbox with like, I was spanked and I turned out fine. Like that was the big refrain. I was spanked and I turned out fine. But what it comes down to for me personally is that I was from a time when I was spanked and there were parents, like I had different parents because I had step parents. So I, I had one stepdad and then a second stepdad. Uh, and it was a really interesting difference for me to grow up with because one of my step parents or one of my stepdads, I should say, um, beat the tar out of me. Like he would take off his belt and he would wail on me until I was black and blue and I had wheels in my skin, the kind that take like mm-hmm. three or four days to heal. And I I'm would so go to sorry. like, it was horrible. I was black and blue. And then my second stepfather, who was also from that era and is the same age group, like he would swap me on the butt and that would be the end of it. One of those two adults was angry as hell and beating the tar out of a child because they were angry. And the other one was correcting a behavior. And part of the problem is that we can't say, uh, like, I'm spank- I was spanked and I turned out fine because some of you people who are saying that did not have parents who beat you until you were back black and blue, and some of you did. I think I stunned you into silence. No, no and not stunned, just... just- Processing. Thank you for sharing that. And well, yeah, and I'm is, I, of course you're. Yeah, it was a lot to go through, but I, I didn't really get to the point. I'm sorry. I should probably get back on the point. No, um, I think it's so useful. This is a useful digression. I think. Yeah, and I, I think that something interesting to me is that this person is their sibling, which means to me yeah. that in theory, at least, they were raised in the same house. And I'm wondering how it is that one of them has gone on to be a spanking parent, and one of them has not. Was one of them the brunt of more punishment than the other? Was one of them a social scientist when they got into school? Like, what is the difference between these two parents that one of them finds this to be acceptable and the other one finds it to be reprehensible? And I will say this. I, I have seen so from so many letters, it seems so often the case that multiple siblings can have such different experiences of the same childhood. And oh, the same my parents. God. Yes. Like, I don't have any siblings, that, so I can't speak to that personally. Okay. But I've definitely seen that right. and heard of that from from friends and, and family who it, have been through that. In part, because oftentimes parents treat their different children very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, dependent on any number of factors, and also in part because, you know, I think we all come into the world in some ways with certain sensitivities Mm -hmm. and quirks of the personality already wired. And so, you know, what one kid experiences as kind of unpleasant but a mostly neutral part of growing up can feel to another one acutely painful and humiliating and mm-hmm. they can both kind of carry that with them throughout childhood and then that that you know manifests itself in very different like parenting practices or very different ways of experiencing the world yeah and and I'd sort of experienced that when I was a kid like I was one of those kids mm-hmm. who after being beaten black and blue when I was 5 I really just wasn't it wasn't that impressive to me that you could hit me Like, obviously, I was afraid of it, but it wasn't something that I was like, you're proving to me that you're right and I'm wrong. It was more like, you're just a giant jerk that's going to hit me. But, like, the worst thing in the world for me was disappointment. Like, the disappointment Mm. of my mom was, like, the worst thing in the world. And I feel Mm. like 
that's one of those baggage things you bring into the world that you were talking about is, is like some kids can be so sensitive to even the slightest disapproval of a parent. And the other one can be like, I don't care. I like, I'm completely immune and I will need like six times more heavy punishment in order to get the point than my sibling. Right. And I think, too, one of the things that you sort of touched on was like the idea of being five and already kind of seeing through this corporal punishment mm-hmm. thing. Like, I'm not impressed. I'm not convinced of anything. It's just, you know, generally uh, we encourage adults to settle their disagreements nonviolently. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not a lot of areas yeah. in adult life, whether that's professionally or personally, where it's uh, can you even imagine, you know, positive <laughs> to solve your problems by hitting somebody? That's not to say that there aren't like various ways in which violence can get normalized. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely the case. But like generally speaking, um, you know, in in schools, at the workplace, we don't say. And if you guys just can't come to an agreement, you know, you know, five rounds in the coffee room and whoever comes out on top gets to decide how yeah. the meeting's going to get run. Yeah. So part of what's hard about that is like. A kid will grow up seeing like, okay, well, adults aren't allowed to hit each other, but my parents can hit me when I do something wrong. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to be able to do that as an adult. Like, anyways, the, the point of this question is not, I think, is it possible to be a good parent who sometimes yeah. spanks their kids? Um, I, I personally don't advocate for spanking. I think it's it's really good to move away from that so- socially. I also don't think that... Uh, you know, any parent who has ever spanked their child is like necessarily not a good parent. So I'm not going to try to say once and for all, anybody who does it is a bad parent or or is damaging their kids forever. I do think it's good that we're moving away from it. Um, I think there are better alternatives. Um, I, I'm, I'm closer to the side of the letter writer than I am to their brother. So but 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 bearing in mind that we're not going to be able to settle that question right now. No, we're not. What would be the best um, for the letter writer um, given that her brother not only spanks his kids, but has said, I am going to spank my kids when you're when your kids are visiting. I'm not going to change that, even if you ask. So there's there's three major things that I flagged in here. Two of them were the refuses to honor my request. Um, and then my question is, do I have the right to demand that he not hit his kids? And the third one was, am I a hypocrite for not standing firm when it comes to his use of corporal punishment on his kids, but insisting he keep my kids out of it? Him not honoring your request is a direct violation of your parenting choices, in my opinion. At the very least, he should be removing your kids or his kids or dealing with it away from your kids if that is what you've requested. Because if you have said, I do not want, if if you just remove this entirely from the situation and you say, I don't want my kids watching violent things on TV, and he said, well, I don't care, I'm going to let them watch the WWE, you would have total grounds to be like, I asked you not to let them watch this. This is BS. Stop doing it. So from that, t- like removing all of this, which is which of us is the, the right one here, he is absolutely obligated to honor your request when it comes to how you want your children to be seeing punishment doled out in your family. And to the second two points... Do I have a right to demand he not hit his kids when my kids are there? And am I a hypocrite for not standing firm when it comes to et cetera? I take a harder line than you do. And I know that we're not going to solve the is this good or bad thing. I feel like you don't have a right to. You have a responsibility to. And that's for your kids, not not for the greater cause of whether or not spanking is bad. But 
you need to take this stand and you need to take it loudly and clearly with your kids and say, this is not acceptable. It will not be around my children. I cannot stop you from this, but I need you to be careful with how you're doing this. And this is not how I want my kids taken care of or raised. And if you cannot honor that, I will not allow my children to be alone with you. Yeah, it's it's so tricky. It, I, I'm I'm just also like I feel like so much of this would depend on like how often is this happening, and how um, severely. How how severely is he spanking the kids? Is he just like hauling one over and spanking them in front of everybody, or does he demonstrate like patience and say like, okay, you've reached this limit. This is what's going to happen next. We're going to like go yeah. into another room as opposed to just like I've lost my patience and I'm going to smack you without any kind uh-huh. of like pause and saying here's what's happening and why um so like depending on all of those circumstances i think that might influence my answer um yeah and it is a very different situation depending on which one of those it is like if he's yeah. just hauling off and clocking the kid when they do something that's upsetting it's one thing i guess and a different thing if it's like i'm setting a boundary i'm setting a boundary okay i warned you this is what's going to happen right. Etc. Right. And how old are your kids? How old are his kids? Yeah. I would say depending on the age of your kids, maybe not even depending on the age, I would ask your kids, like, how do you feel when you're over at, like, Uncle Ben's house? Do you like being around him? Uh, I, I don't know if your kids have brought it up to you that they've seen him spank his kids or if they've asked questions, but if they, you know, because you don't want to ask these leading questions no. in a way that's like, hey, kids, you should feel traumatized. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, but that's try to like, take, the, take their temperature on, do they notice it? Do they have questions about it? Does it seem to distress them? And if the answer is they're like, oh, yeah, I did notice and I was kind of curious, but it doesn't feel like this big, huge, awful thing, then maybe you can have a conversation that's sort of like, yep, he spanks kids. I don't. Here's why I don't. Um, and if you guys ever have more questions or if it ever feels different, please, please come share this with me. And then you can kind of carefully, uh, you know, with discretion plan how often your kids are going to be over at his house. If it feels really far in the other direction, if it feels like they're really upset by it, they don't understand it. Um, then, then I think you can kind of say, we're going to reformulate how we spend time together. We're maybe going to like spend time when I'm around, but I'm not just going to like drop you off at his house when I can't look after you for an afternoon. Um, mm-hmm. It's okay for you to set a limit. Like, I think you've made your request. He has said no, unless you believe that he's like really harming these kids. Um, then I do think you have to respect that he has the right to yeah. discipline his kids, you know, even if. It's a choice that you are really opposed to. Mm -hmm. Again, bearing in mind, like, it's different if he's, like, just hauling off and smacking them. But it doesn't sound like that's the case. I think you would have said if that was the case. No, I'd agree with that. And gosh, I just feel so uncomfortable talking about this. I know. I just find myself feeling sad and and just, I'm, I'm just sad. And I feel sad just at the prospect of that is his choice and beyond what you already requested i don't know what more you can do yeah um so i think you just have to figure out how are my kids doing what are my limits um and if he's not being actively abusive and if it's just an issue of really disagreeing about corporal punishment you know if you don't want your kids to see that that's your choice and that's your right and you can make that call yeah the only other thing i would add and and your your context of like definitely taking their temperature and making sure that they're not scared, like making sure that you're not the one scaring them is really important. But if they express right. to you uncertainty, if they express to you being scared when that happens, make sure there's a plan in place. 
Make sure that they know they can call you whenever. Make sure that they have access to a cell phone. Make sure that there is an escape method for your kids if they feel unsafe ever. Because I promise you, it will mean everything in the world to them. Even if they don't feel personally in danger, even if there is never any sort of threat to them, which it doesn't seem like there ever is. But if they know that at any time they can call you if they get scared of this situation and you will extract them, it will really increase their comfort and really make them feel safer. And that's such a good point, too, because it's so difficult. You, on the one hand, don't want to instill your children with an unnecessary sense of paranoia and fear. Like you don't want to scare them so much that they think the whole world is unsafe and everyone's out to get them. But you also have to make sure you're providing them with language to know when I'm not sure about something, when something makes me uncomfortable, I can talk to my parents about this. And they have like... made it they have facilitated a way for me to easily mm-hmm. do that like gosh I, you know I, I i had wonderful parents growing up and and a pretty stable safe childhood mm-hmm. and there would still be times when i would be at a friend's house as a little kid and i would see stuff that like made me so confused and uncomfortable and a little scared and i just had no idea you know i was six years old seven years old i had no idea what to do so i just didn't say anything um, because unless you bring that subject up with your kids, like a six-year-old's not going to think, oh, I should speak up about this. They just don't but, have a framing method for it. And if an adult does it, you just think, well, I guess this must be normal because an adult's doing it and mm-hmm. I'm six. So yeah. to, again, without like creating an unnecessary panic in mm-hmm. your children, to specifically name here's how you can get in touch with me. Please ask me these questions. You know, you have the right to like not get hit by another adult. Here's why I don't spank you. Um, This is a a commitment that I have. Like let your kid know that if they feel uncomfortable, they can talk to you about it because that will be really invaluable to them. Cause you know, you just don't know when you're little and you see an adult do something. You just think, I guess that's how adults act. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Good luck to this letter writer and to all the children involved. And then we've got one last question that I thought was very sweet and kind of reassuring and a nice, hopeful um, uh, note to end on. So the subject line of this is just unwanted condolences. Dear Prudence, a neighbor I don't know very well recently lost someone in their close friend group. A lot of people knew this friend for the great things that they did. So it was in the news, but I didn't find out personally. I wanted my neighbor to know that I was thinking of them and offered to bring over some food or run to the store on their behalf, but that if they didn't want me to, that was okay too. They told me they were okay and didn't need anything. I backed off and told them thanks for letting me know, but inside I felt so stupid. Why did I even ask? Was it insensitive of me to reach out? How are you supposed to handle these situations? Was I asking because I wanted to seem like a caring person, or was I actually being a caring person? Death makes me nervous, and whenever it affects someone I know, even a little, I want to get in touch, but I normally don't. Is it worse or impolite to have someone you don't know really well reach out? I just want to disappear completely. If I see them in the future, I'll probably politely say hello and move on, but inside I want to erase the whole exchange from their memory so they don't have to be reminded of how insensitive I was. Should you never reach out unless you're really close to someone? How should I handle this in the future? Oh, letter writer, I want to like wrap you in cotton and tell you you're totally not a bad person and you did the right thing. Yeah. Like, you were not wrong at all, and you were totally respectful, and you didn't try to, like, push yourself on them or, or like, invade their privacy. You just offered, and when they said no thank you, you were perfectly gracious. You did nothing wrong. 
No, and I'm sure it was not the kind of no thank you where they were upset. I'm sure it was just the kind of no thank you where like probably a lot of people have already offered to do those things and their immediate needs are met. So don't think that just because they said no thank you, it was also secretly followed by this is so pushy. I, I wish you hadn't done that. I'm really insulted. Like, I don't think that that was going on. I, I feel like I can say that with confidence, even though I don't know these people. No, I'd agree with that. Um, but I do totally understand and identify with, like, of course death makes you nervous. Death is scary and weird, and we live now in a society where, like, we try to shove death off to the corners as much as possible. So every time it comes up, we're like, what's that? I don't know how to deal with this. What do I do with my hands? Give me two coffee cups, a la oh Jack Donaghy. Grieving rituals. Grieving rituals are scary and strange, and I don't get them. Like, I've, okay, so disclosure on this one I've had two grandparents die in the last three years, and they mm-hmm. were the first close deaths in my family. So it was very, like, sudden and strange, and I, I had never really dealt with it before. And I had these very strange moments where I was like, why is my face leaking? I can't stop crying. I need to wear sunglasses all the time. Why does everybody want me to stand in a line and shake their hand? I don't know what's going on. And those were really rough for me because I didn't know the rituals. Like, I'd never done them before. Um, and it's it's worth noting that there's never a wrong way to say, I'm sorry for your loss, as long as it is coming from a good place. And I don't think, letter writer, there is absolutely nothing in your letter that would indicate to me that you were doing it out of a desire to seem nicer than you were. I think you honestly just wanted to be supportive and you were completely receptive to a basic, like, nope, we're all set. And that was really what mattered. Yep. And I think sometimes uh, we can spend a little too much time analyzing our own motives. Like, did I really want to help or did I just want to look helpful? Um, And sometimes it can be great to check your own motives and make sure that you are not solely motivated by a desire to look good. But it's also okay sometimes to say, yes, sometimes I want to help and I want to feel good about myself and I want somebody else to think of me as a certain kind of person. And even though that's important to like wrestle with and be aware of, that's not a reason not to do the right thing. Right. Like just because we all struggle with pride and image management does not mean that the correct response to that is, well, I should not offer to help anyone so that I never run the risk of indulging those motives. Like it's still the right thing to do. No, I'd agree with that. And that whole like feeling good about the fact that you did something nice for somebody, that's part of a social contract and social contracts are important. And it isn't a bad person that obeys those social contracts just because they're there. Dealing with grief is really rough. People don't know how to do it necessarily. You get really exhausted with it. And, you know, sometimes people are just like, nope, I'm all set. I'm overwhelmed. I I don't need anything else. Everybody has been super supportive. I'm good. And that's okay. And you reacted to that perfectly. So good on you. Yep. No, and and that that panic is normal, but just kind of let that pass. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not like you were asking them prying personal questions or trying to insinuate yourself in their life. You just asked a kind question Mm -hmm. and they said no. Um, And honestly, feel free the next time that you see them. Yeah. Say hello politely. Um, You might even just acknowledge again, like, I'm so sorry you lost your friend. Um, You don't have to, but I think it might actually be helpful. I think generally it's a good impulse to just acknowledge if somebody has lost someone they care about, if someone they love has died. Like, I think it's good to not let the nervousness um, 
move you in the direction of pretending nothing happened because I think sometimes mm. that can make people feel alienated and alone. And I, I, I'm aware this person's your neighbor. It's not like you're good friends. So you may also decide not to. But I think don't let your nervousness or your fear of saying the wrong thing keep you from doing or saying anything. I think everything you did was totally normal. You have described nothing that leads me to think, ooh, actually, maybe that was a little iffy. You should probably walk something back. Um, don't feel stupid just because they didn't need food. Oftentimes when somebody's lost a friend or a family member, a lot of people offer to bring food, in, especially in the first couple of days. And so you run out of that's fridge the first, space. Yeah. Sometimes that's the first thing that like that happens. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, you know, to address your final questions, should you never reach out unless you're really close to so someone? No, absolutely not. Um, you say that you normally don't reach out even though you want to. And I think you should. Like, not that you're a bad person for not doing it, but I think actually... Generally speaking, unless you are saying something way too personal or intrusive or trying to insinuate yourself into a situation where you don't belong, just like calling or emailing someone you know only a little who's recently suffered a serious loss and saying, hey, I'm so sorry to hear about your loss. Um, if, if, you know, and then like some sort of offer, like if, if you need anything, sometimes it can be a little vague to say if you need anything, like then they have to feel like they have to come up with something. But like if you have something you can offer, like... Um, I'm going to the store later. If you need anything, I'd be happy to pick you something up. Or, or just if you ever want to talk, I'm available. Um, that's totally kind, totally appropriate. And just because oftentimes people who are grieving are overwhelmed and don't necessarily respond right away or at all or say thanks but no thanks, that doesn't mean it's not meaningful to hear that. Um, so don't think that just because people say, thank you, but I'm all right, that doesn't mean what they're saying is, I wish you hadn't said anything. Like, I think it's better to err on the side of saying something. Yeah. Yep. It's fabulous. Uh, this is great. I never get to end the show by telling someone they did something great. Um, and I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start saving all the great letters where someone just did everything right for the end. Right? This is such a sweet letter. Oh, Maggie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It was a great time. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. You might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds. A minute. Tops. 